Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I'm a man of many hats this morning. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you, Lisa. The rest of you? Ah, it's a rough start. Anyway, it's good to be with you guys today. We are going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. So if you do have a Bible, uh, if you would, turn there with me as we're continuing, continuing in God's Word in the Gospel of John. Um, so, I just need to catch my breath for a second. All right. It is good to be with you guys. And I'm, I'm always reminded, um, it's one of those things where, like, God is constantly reminding me of the little things that I should remember, that I forget. I don't know if anybody else like that. Okay, I'm not alone. <sighs> Thank you. Uh, in particular, like when I'm, when I'm reading God's word and, and, and then like when I go to study for, for preaching, uh, for teaching and those types of things, I'm, I'm always, it's like those aha moments where you, you connect and interconnect how scripture works together and you go, man, God is so just, the orchestration of his work, the orchestration of his word and, and the beauty of, of everything that kind of comes together. Like, I don't, re- I don't know if we realize sometimes how special this is that we have this. Uh, there's such beauty and, 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 and splendor that comes with just his word. Uh, from the, the, the aspect of us just being able to read it and to hear the actual words that come from the, the mouth of Jesus. Uh, to the stories of how God is, has worked from the beginning to redeem and to rescue his people. And so there's, there's so much that goes into just the, the beauty of being able to look at his word. And I'm so thankful uh, this morning that, that we get to explore that together. Um, and John 3 is, is, is a beautiful example of this orchestrated work. It reveals uh, so much about his character, who he is, uh, the love that he has for us, and it reveals his patience and his kindness towards us. Uh, even as we kind of get into this, uh, with, uh, as, as you guys may know, uh, John chapter 3 is probably one of the most well-known Bible passages in all of Scripture. It's one where we obviously get John chapter 3, verse 16, which many of, of you know. Uh, from, from memory. But it's one of those things where as we get to begin to look at this relationship, this conversation that's happening between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, Jesus' kindness, even in the middle of him saying, uh, you're wrong, <laughs> you're in a poor position, you see the love that he has for people. 
And so that's something that, that I, I never want to forget, that, that God in such a way that he looks down upon his children, as he looks down upon his creation, has such kindness and love towards. And so, as we begin, I want to remind us of the faith that Pastor Scott preached on last week. And if you guys remember, uh, it was a faith that was what he called consumeristic, uh, a surface level belief that only clings to the signs that Jesus performed and not uh, in the second person of the Trinity, that being Jesus. As Pastor Scott preached, Jesus is enough. And as we will examine over the next few weeks in the third chapter of John, Jesus not only reveals our need, but he also satisfies it as well. And so, as we kind of get into this, I want to read over again John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And actually, let's go back two verses to, or three verses to John 2, 23 through 25, because I want to give us a little bit of context. While he was in Jerusalem, during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them, since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with them. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for the love that you have towards us. We're we're grateful for your word that is so readily available in front of us. Jesus, we are grateful that um, you not only reveal to us what's going on inside of us, but you reveal a solution as well. And so Jesus, we, we ask that by your spirit, uh, spirit's help, that you would help us to better understand your word this morning, that you would help us to better understand how we might be partakers of the kingdom. Lord, how we might make much of your name and how we might give you all the glory and honor for our lives. We pray this in your name, amen. So, as we think about the story of Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter three, in the verses one and following, what we actually see is that the story of Nicodemus and the relationship and conversation with Jesus is the illustration that points to those three verses in John chapter two. So, you guys remember from last week, Jesus looking at the people sees and knows that they believe in the signs and miracles. They, they see, he sees the belief that they have in him based upon those things. And what is his response? He says, I didn't entrust myself to them because I could see past that belief and I saw what was inside of them. What's interesting is that we have this story that follows immediately following these three verses. And we see the context in which God shows the illustration in a single person, and that is Nicodemus. And so as we look at John chapter three, uh, especially two and following, we, we, we see this man named Nicodemus who pops up on the scene. We also know that two other times in the book of John, Nicodemus will be uh, given a, a chance to be in the story of the Gospel of John. In John 7, we know that Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which essentially means that he's a part of an elite group of, uh, of Pharisees, of, of lead, Jewish, Jewish leaders uh, who would be over the law, who would be over the spiritual uh, aspect of Judaism. 
And so Nicodemus being a Pharisee would have been one of the most devout, conscientious keepers of the law. And not only the law of scripture, but all the other laws that they made up. Prescription to produce holiness, they thought, and this word Pharisee comes from this word meaning separate, separated. And they were separated people, separated from the rest of the people by their devotion to the law, separated from sin, separated from evil. And they, they lived life, lifestyles that, that would separate themselves from everything else. Um, they literally would make sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. They were to keep the very letter of the law. So if you have any type A accountants at your office, they're kind of like those people. Just a kid, just kidding. Okay, man, flat, okay. <laughs> anyway, so as we drop into John chapter three, this man begins to have this conversation with Jesus. So we set the stage where Nicodemus, who is probably one of the most well-acknowledged people in all of Judaism. He would have been someone that most people would have known as, as a, a high-ranking uh, official within Judaism, right? So this man meets with Jesus in the middle of the night, and he begins to have this conversation with Jesus, right? And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Sounds nice, right? That's a nice little statement. What's funny or interesting is that Jesus doesn't even respond to that. <laughs> if you guys could think for a second, you're, you're having a conversation with Jesus and you're like, I, I've seen all these signs, all these things that you're doing. You have to be from God. And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm not gonna answer that. Okay, let's go to what I wanna talk about, right? And so Jesus responds and he says, truly I tell you, Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom, right? So Nicodemus makes this nice little statement, uh, almost a confession of sort, right? Jesus, I see what's going on here. Like, there's some good things happening. You have to be from God. And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, I see past that. I see past the statement that you're making. And what I see and what I'm going to tell you is that no one sees the kingdom unless they're born again. And so instead of looking to Nicodemus' confession, Jesus looks a bit deeper than the surface level understanding Nicodemus has about Jesus. Does this not remind us of John 2, 23, which said, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, and Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. Why? Because he saw and knew what was inside a man. You see, when, when Jesus looked at Nicodemus, when Jesus looks at all of us, he knows more than what we're saying and the actions that we are trying to portray to other people. And so when he hears Nicodemus' words, he looks beyond Nicodemus' words. Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. And what Nicodemus said wasn't important to Jesus in regards to what Jesus knew about Nicodemus. What he really believed and where his faith was entrusted he looked past the endearing comments and he knew what was inside Nicodemus. And in doing so, what he tells us about the kingdom, about Nicodemus, but also about us is really important. Of utmost importance, Jesus reveals something about all of it. The thing that we see, there's, there's a couple statements that are really kind of made that Jesus makes in this passage. The first one's gonna be kind of broken up into two different points. And the first is this. Mankind is incapable of seeing the kingdom. 
Mankind is incapable of seeing the kingdom. Of all the people who could have this conversation with Jesus, like if, if we were to get humanity together, Nicodemus was a good option. Right? He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Right? Not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a leader amongst the Pharisees. He was someone who would have uh, been well-suited to, 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 to go before us as, as humanity to have this conversation with Jesus. He's filled with wisdom, he's devoted with the law, he's educated, he's confident, he has all these things that are going for him, right? And in the aspect of, think of Paul, right? When, when Paul in Philippians 3 says, like, I was a Jew of, among Jews, I was of, uh, of this tribe, I, I, was, um, I, I, I followed the law, I did all these things, right? Nicodemus very well could have said the same things. He could have had the litany test of saying, I've done this, I've done this, I'm this, I'm this, I've done this. And so Nicodemus comes before Jesus, and Jesus, looking at, honestly, some of what the best of humanity had to offer, says, none of what you are doing is capable of you seeing or entering the kingdom. Not a single aspect in this regard of what you are doing is capable of you seeing the kingdom. None of it matters. Your best efforts haven't moved you any closer to seeing the kingdom, which in turn allows for us to see amongst humanity that our best efforts, the best that we can offer to the Lord, right? None of our goodness, none of our morals are good enough for us before Jesus because Jesus knows our hearts and he knows our condition. In the same way when he looked at Nicodemus, when Nicodemus is saying, look, I see you, I, I see the signs and I, I know you're from God. And Jesus goes right around that to the heart and he says, look, Nicodemus, in order for you to see the kingdom, you have to be born again. When we look to this aspect of the condition of our hearts, we look back to Psalm 94, 11, it says, the Lord knows the thoughts of mankind, they are futile. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable, who can understand it? John 8 tells us they were slaves to sin. We are told that we're blinded to the truth and we're even called lovers of darkness. We could honestly keep going on and on and on with these types of passages. And the matter of fact is that ultimately God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our inclinations. He knows what's going on inside of us. And honestly, that none of that is sufficient for the kingdom. And that points back to John chapter 2. When he says, like, all these people believed in these signs and wonders, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just that they believed in the signs and wonders and they believed that Jesus did it. And how relatable is that to us? There are a lot of people who say they believe, right? I was kind of, when I was going through the sermon and, and, and some Barna research popped up and it was, um, they get down to the details of like, if you say that you're a born again evangelical believer, what does that mean? Like, what are the actions that you take? What do you believe, right? Because sometimes we, we kind of like, it's not just that you're a Christian. You have to be a born-again Christian. You have to be born-again evangelical Christian. You have to be uh, once, like, all these different things, and we're trying to, like, get them down because we're, we're, we're all, like, consumed with this aspect of, like, what, what do we believe in all this stuff? And, and a lot of times we just miss the mark because what we're believing in is important and how we believe. And so these people who believed in the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing were told that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was on the inside of them. Ultimately, when we talk about this concept, it's this concept of regeneration. They hadn't been born again. Their hearts hadn't been regenerated. 
And that's kind of a, a hard thing for all of us because there's this aspect in which I think everyone who probably is in this room has at least a simple level belief of who, that there is a God, right? And that even Jesus existed. The problem is, is that that isn't sufficient to see the kingdom. And that's a hard reality. That's a hard truth for us. The reality is that when we take the best of the things that we have to offer from a morality standpoint, it isn't that impressive to God. Even believing in Jesus' miracles and knowing he is from God isn't sufficient to see the kingdom. Nicodemus and the people literally saw the works that were going on right in front of them, and that belief wasn't enough. At most, what we will see, uh, we will see the blessings and the goodness from God, that isn't enough. The reality is this, if if you're feeling a bit uneasy by this, I I, I want to make a quick note. We are inherently incapable of seeing the kingdom, but... We are not barred from the kingdom. There's a difference. You're unable, I'm unable, Nicodemus was unable to enter and to see the kingdom, but it doesn't mean that God barred us from the kingdom. The solution to the problem is that you must be born again, right? This is the second part of that statement. So the first part is mankind is incapable of seeing the kingdom, and the second statement is unless they are born again. So Jesus uses this aspect of birth five times in this passage. He emphasizes what needs to take place in order for people to see the kingdom. I don't know about you guys, but have you ever had kids, like when you repeat yourself over and over and over again, it's normally because what? It's important, right? If I remember, or if my wife reminds me, that, maybe that's a better analogy. If my wife reminds me like four or five times to do something, normally it means it's important, right? Get it inside your head. And so that's what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus. He, he mentions over, you gotta be born again. You have to be born from something else. You have to birth out of this new life, right? And so five times Jesus tells Nicodemus about this aspect of new birth, right? It's important, it's so important that there are some denominations that almost trademark the phrase, right? I can remember even, uh, so you have that kind of side and then you have the other side, which is like, my wife had a conversation with, with someone who's Catholic and they were talking to their priest and um, the priest said, well, we don't use that phrase born again. That's a Protestant thing. And you're like, what? That's a Jesus thing. And so you've got to get these two aspects where it's like some people will say, you've got to be born again, born again, born again, born again, right? And then you get the other aspect where it's like, that's a Protestant thing. And it's like, no, this is important because it's a Jesus thing, right? It's important because Jesus mentions it as an exclusive and inclusive statement, right? The only way that you can see the kingdom is if you're born again, right? It's not something where it's like, well, you gotta be born again. Yeah, that's good. It's like, no, you can't see the kingdom if you aren't born again, right? Which means that it's important, not only in that statement, but in the fact that he keeps mentioning it over and over and over again, right? It's important, because he repeats it and he makes such an exclusive and an inclusive statement with it, right? You must be born again in order to see the kingdom. Now, what's interesting about this word again, right, this, this word that's translated again can also be translated from above, right? So you must be born not only again, but from above. And both of those translations are fine. And two times in the same passage, it's actually translated instead of again, it's translated from above, 
And so what we see is that God says, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is saying that you have to be born from above, right? And there's this contrast that's taking place in this passage that relates to this aspect of the flesh, which is us, right? Carlos right there, I see him. It's the flesh, but it's also there's a spirit that has to be reborn, okay? So, which kind of gets that thing of when we talk about this passage is like, well, how do I go back into my mother's womb, right? Like, that sounds crazy. That's not gonna happen, right? It's not talking about that. He's talking about you have to be born again from the spirit, okay? So, uh, we, we kind of get to this point where it's like you have to be born not again or again, but also from above, right? So you have to have another birth from above. And all of this, again, points to an inability. You can't get in the kingdom by anything you do any more than you could bring about your own birth, right? Birth happens to us, not by us, right? So in the same aspect, like when you're born from your parents, your parents made a decision and then you're born, right? In the same way, when we think about this from an aspect of, of salvation, there is not an ounce of a step that we take to start the aspect of us being born again, right? When, when God created us all and the fall happens, right, there's a separation that exists. There's no way for us to take that step back to God. He had to initiate it first, right? There's nothing we could muster in all of humanity to get back to him, Right? And the best efforts that we have of someone like a Nicodemus, Jesus looks at him and says, I see that you have belief, but it's not enough. I see that you're trying and that you're doing all of these things and you're living every aspect of the law and, and you're, 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 um, you're trying so hard, but you can't get there. Not a single step that you've taken has actually brought you closer to me. Only God can do that. And so that's why it's so important for us to get to that spot of realization that we don't control that aspect of the relationship. Only God can. Some of us might be at that point of saying, well, what, what am I actually supposed to do? <laughs> if that's the case, I want to encourage you because I, I think what we're actually getting to is the very heart of it because Here's the thing, for us as Americans, as, as do it all, as uh, YouTube find out what's going on, like for me, like if there's something in my house that I need to fix, it's like YouTube, how do I do that, how to do it, how to do it, and then like I'll spend three hours like making sure, uh, if you ever want to know how flashlight works, Joseph knows every, every detail, right? We love details, we love trying to figure out how to do it, how, it make, how to make it work, right? Because we, we have this aspect of we, we like morality and we, we like being able to, to find out the knowledge of how to do things. And how perfect that we have Nicodemus, who is this man who wants an answer to how to do it, right? He wants to know what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. And so much so that, like, literally, you couldn't look at a mirror on a Sunday because that was work, right? They were that intense. And what Jesus does is he doesn't give an answer of how to, but an answer of how not to. There's a distinction because what, what we want to try to do is if we were to have this relationship conversation with Jesus, we would say, Jesus, what, what do I need to do in order to inherit the, the kingdom? Like, how do I do this? Like, does it mean that I give up my house and my car and all this stuff and that I'd be a better person? Like, all these things. Like, that's what we want to try to do in our lives. And what Jesus' response is, is that you can't. It's impossible. There is not a single step you can take to get close enough. 
And so we get Nicodemus's response. And he says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Right? I have to be born again. How do, do I, how do I do that when I'm old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, I don't think Nicodemus is being naive. I think he's just simply using Jesus' analogy. Right? This is pretty par for the course of a Pharisee. They would have, the rabbis and teachers used uh, stories and figurative language all the time. And so he takes this analogy and he says, hey, you're, you're telling me it's humanly impossible, right? Like you're, you're speaking of something that's impossible for me to do. Like if, if I were to think about this idea of being born again, right, we, I can't choose to be born, right? So you're saying it's impossible, right? That's what you're saying. And so what it, we, we kind of get to is at the meat of Jesus' answer and response, right? So he gives this like, Nicodemus says this really nice thing to him, and then Jesus is like, I'm looking at your heart, and no, you can't get to the kingdom except for being born again. And so Nicodemus responds and says, well, how do I do that? That's impossible, because he's wanting a to-do list. He's wanting to know, how do I do that? It's impossible, right? And so Jesus' response, and this is kind of really our second statement point, and this is one of those things where like when you really are digging into to, to the word that you kind of get these really cool um, parallels that exist, the connections. And so um, Jesus' response is, is pretty much in, in, in having this conversation. He says, the answer is there all along, Nicodemus. You've just missed it. You missed it. And so Jesus kind of goes back through this, this verses five through eight, and he says, Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, right? So again, this aspect, you gotta be born, again, born of water and spirit. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. I love that last part. It's like, Nicodemus, you can't know it. The, the Spirit does things outside of your control. And that's the hard thing for all of us when we really get down to it is that we want control of our lives. We want control of, of the, the, where we live and, and where we work and how much we, we make and how good our kids do in sports and all those different things. We love control. We love knowing our life is, is comfortable and in, 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 in a firm spot. And so what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, you can't know the Spirit. But I do love the fact that he says, don't be amazed, Nicodemus, by these words. Right? And what, essentially what he's saying, because of the context of what he says, that you have to be born of water and Spirit, is he's like, it's right in front of you, Nicodemus. It's been there the whole time. And what he's referring to is, like this aspect of don't be amazed, is um, when Nicodemus is having this conversation with Jesus, he doesn't have... Um, this part of our Bibles, right? He has this part. He would have had the Old Testament. That would have been his Bible. And so what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, we've already, God's already shared this. Like he's already told you what was gonna happen. And so we think back and if, we, and if Nicodemus was in that conversation, if he was someone who really knew God's word, he would have immediately known what Jesus meant when he said you have to be born of water and spirit. He would have thought of, hopefully, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 11, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 24, right? In all of these passages, when we think about this concept of water and spirit, when we think about water in the Old Testament, it's a picture. It's a symbol of purification. It's a symbol of being purified of all that defiles you. 
But if, if you just listen for a second, Ezekiel 36, verses 24 and following. It says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you uh, from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will take water, sprinkle you clean water on you, and cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. This is the picture of what God does when he changes our hearts, right? This is a picture of what God says that he's going to do, right? So we're thinking back in time, Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's saying, there's going to be a day when this is going to happen in the future. He's thinking about Jeremiah, there's going to be a day in the future when this is going to happen. And so literally you have a Nicodemus who's here, and he's seeing that Jesus is from God, and Jesus is saying, look back, right? This kingdom is not a kingdom that you're, you think it's going to be. This is a kingdom that if you look back, we've already talked about, all right? And so Jeremiah 24, actually Ezekiel 11, 19, I'll give them one heart, put a new spirit within them, take the heart of stone out of their flesh, give them a new heart of flesh that they may walk in my statues, keep my ordinance and do them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, I will give them a heart to know me for I am the Lord and they will be my people and I will be their God. They will return to me with their whole heart. There's a new heart, a new spirit. They're washed, they're cleansed. Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them out of the land of Egypt, the Mosaic covenant. The covenant was the Mosaic covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant, verse 33, which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Present in Nicodemus' time, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, Jesus is, is taking a look back, and he's saying, Nicodemus, it's been right there the whole time, right? You're still trying to operate in the Mosaic law, you're, and even beyond that, you're still trying to just do every little thing that you possibly can to, to, to follow every iota of the law. And what Jesus is saying the prophets foretold that there was going to be a time that you would have to be cleansed with water, you would have to have be reborn, right, born again, right? There's this aspect in which I'm going to place a new heart in you, which you aren't capable of doing the law, I'm going to replace that heart, right? And when we get to actually into this time period, we, we get that perfect reflection, that image in Romans 7 and 8, where Paul says in Romans 7, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do, right? It's because I get this tear that's inside of me. And he says, I, the law was there to show my sin and incapability of going to God. But Romans 8 is the beautiful afterpiece. It's the conversation that Nicodemus is having, or that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, and where he's saying, that's right, you can't, but there's the Spirit, right? Jesus is going to die, and he's going to be on the cross, and he's going to die on the cross, and then he's going to go into the grave, and he's going to rise again, and he's going to give his spirit to indwell with us, his people. And so what happens is, is that Jesus is pointing to that, and he's saying, look, Nicodemus, you aren't good enough. You can't do enough. You have to be born again. You have to have died to yourself. You have to be reborn. You have to have a new heart, because the heart you have right now is not capable. But instead, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to write it, the law on your heart so that you can, not by your own accord, but by the Spirit's work inside of you. 
The law, our works, our efforts in the flesh cannot grant us eternal life. It can't grant us the ability to see. But by God, by his spirit, we can have new life. Like I said, one of the things that's, that's interesting about this passage is that Jesus doesn't give like the, the one, two, three steps of how to be born again. He just says you gotta be born again. Right? Later, and I don't wanna give too much away because I'm only in the first eight verses, but he does present the solution a little more clearly. Because I don't want to simply leave us here as like, well, you got to be born again. Okay, see you guys next week, right? Jesus says, you got to be born again, Nicodemus. And he, and he gives a, a, a better solution, a better answer to that. And Jesus is the rescue we need. Right? When we look to John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus is saying, I am the answer, the solution to how to be born again. Right? It's, it's not even just this aspect of like, okay, here's all your sin, here's all your stuff, all your baggage. You gotta be born again, right? It's Jesus gives himself as the answer to our biggest problem that we are incapable of doing. What Luke so beautifully shared from uh, the, the little devotion this morning is this aspect in which Jesus, right, we were imputed the sin of Adam and Jesus took on that sin so that he could impute upon us to give us his righteousness. That's how we are born again. And so I think what's so difficult for us is that we all want to try to figure it out on our own, or we all want to try to figure out, what do I need to do? And the answer is you don't need to do anything. And it doesn't mean that we don't have faith and that we don't trust in God and that we don't walk in obedience in that, but it means that you and I can't get to the point of any, being any closer to God and rectifying this issue of the relationship on our own. We can't be born again of our own accord, right? It's impossible. But instead, what we need is Jesus, right? The Sunday school answer, we need Jesus for us to be born again, to literally take our place, to die on our behalf, to take the wrath of God for the punishment of our sin that we might have faith in him for that. And as a result, the flow through that is that we are born again. Jesus is sufficient for our salvation. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.